Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, everyone. On this episode of Six Degrees with Mike McKenna, I'm glad to welcome my friend, Gary Warwick Jr. Now, my relationship with the family started at least 20 years ago, the first time I ordered a mask from Gary Sr., who's been making these things important here on Michigan for years. It started out when he was actively playing goaltender and then eventually over the years transitioned into making masks for names like Belfour, Turco, Hashik, Nabokov, Shields, Brian Miller. So it was great to be able to sit down with Gary, talk about the past, the future, where his company's gone, all the innovation that's gone into it, and it was a great evening. And we'd never met in person before, so having the chance to put a face with a name, enjoy each other's company, look at some old goalie masks, it was a great evening. So hope you enjoy it. Gary Warwick Jr. Appreciate coming down and watching practice today at uh, Little Caesars Arena. Yeah, this is a really special deal for me today because we've known each other for, I don't know, 15, 20 years yeah. intermittently, yep. but we'd actually never met in person. Right. And, you know, I'd met your father before years ago. And so your company and, and your brand, Warwick Goalie Masks, has been a really important player in our scene for so many years, but so often you don't get to hear the voice behind it. And right. so, what I'd really like to dive into is how your family got started in this business and how your dad began making masks for professionals for himself way back in the 60s. Well, you know, um, back when he was about 24 years old, uh, there was no masks available for him to go buy. And as a goalie, uh, playing in the Port Huron area, traveling over to Sarnia and playing in different parts of, you know, Canada, Forest, Wallaceburg, um, he would go. He would get sent out there to play net with no head protection at all. And uh, when he became friends with uh, a goalie that played for the Port Huron Flags by the name of Norm Jocks, Norm um, showed him how uh, Lefty Wilson, the trainer for the Detroit Red Wings, had um, laid you know plaster Paris splints over his face to construct a face mold, and then was able to um, grease up the face mold lay uh, some fiberglass over top of that to make uh, a facial plate and um, from there it just kind of uh, escalated and my dad started to um, kind of copy uh, other mask makers that came along behind Lefty like uh, Ernie Higgins who was uh, out of Massachusetts making masks for Jerry Cheevers, Jills Jobert and many other NHL goalies and uh, um, the mask went from, say, four layers thick, which Lefty was doing, up to probably more like eight layers. 
and the mask started to come back further on the top of the head and on the sides and just gave much more protection to the Goldies. So the guys that you mentioned, it's funny how they started off as really just being the trainers for teams and they were making these out of necessity. And as time went along, they started to get better at their craft, the product became smoother. And do you think there was any moment though where your dad realized that, yeah, this is a hobby, but maybe there's something to this. Maybe there's a potential to make a business out of this. Right, and then, well, he had a, he had a slow period. Um, because he wasn't a mask maker by trade, correct? No, he was a construction uh, carpenter and then became a, a, a construction you know, foreman superintendent, started running big jobs all over Detroit area, uh, Ford Field um, and Joe Lewis Arena were some of his projects. But uh, You've kept the family tradition on it, yeah, right? Yeah, I kept Little Caesars going, Arena. and I worked at Little Caesars Arena and Ford Field myself, and uh, we both retired in our early 50s, and... Um, when my dad was able to uh, take his retirement at 52, um, shortly thereafter, he landed Eddie Belfour as one of his goalies uh, through a good friend of his named Stu Gould, who was from uh, Chicago. Big, I know big Stu time Gould. Chicago yeah. goalie coach. Right. Um, sold a lot of equipment. He made was, his own equipment too, if he, I'm not mistaken. Did. Right. He yeah. Did. And, uh, Stu Gould used to talk like that. Yeah, I'm well, Stu Gould. He was, he, was, yeah. he was good as Gould. Was his, as good as Gould, trademark. yeah. And that uh, guy's had a few hot dogs from Portillo's <laughs> in his day, right? Definitely. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, through his association with Eddie, he, he put him in touch with us. And uh, after a, a few uh, prototypes, um, I remember getting up one morning quite early, driving over to Saginaw, banging on Eddie's door. He came, he came to the door with all that long brown curly hair, very tired, wondered what was Tell going on. Tell me he was wearing a robe or something. <laughs> he and had, like, sli- he had like slippers on. and a robe he or something. shorts on and a t-shirt <laughs> and his, uh, and his uh, kind of, I guess they were mucklucks or whatever was on his feet, to <laughs> sandals. And um, he invited us in and we showed him what we had and, and he always took the mask by the ears and compressed it in to see how flexible it was. Been there before, yeah. That's the um, first thing I used to do too. Yeah. And uh, when the mask wasn't as rigid as he liked, we went back and changed the formula. Um, Were you working with carbon fiber back then? We were working with a lot of Kevlar and fiberglass at that point. Okay. And this was like '92 or so. Is that right? Probably more like '93, '94. Okay. Gotcha. And. uh, he had, he had been wearing the same mask for a couple of years, and uh, it was just starting to show a lot of wear and tear in the forehead and the chin area, and uh, we needed to get something going really quickly for him, which we did. And, and so, he probably back then even had the eagle design before that, right? He had the eagle designs, um, and, he, and he kept that trademark with him, kept that paint job with him on the various teams that he played for different color schemes. They changed the, uh, the layout on the feathers and uh, improved that. And um, he ended up third or fourth all time on the, on the wins list, I believe. So, Did, uh, over the course of the years, did Eddie's masks change at all? Um, the cages definitely changed. If you look at old pictures of Eddie, he wore uh, a double bar uh, down the center which um, then he changed to um, 
a single bar, and um, he was always a real big fan of the titanium cages. Um, towards the end, he he liked the idea of you know the lightest mass possible. Yeah, we were in the same boat with that. That yes. was a big draw for me because the first time I saw a Warwick mask in person and I picked it up, it felt like it weighed nothing. And yeah. so many of them before with the Kevlar and the fiberglass, they're just heavier than what carbon fiber is. And I mean, that was a revelation to me. And do you think that that was something that when your dad discovered how to work with carbon, mm-hmm. it had to be a game changer, I'd think. It was, it was a huge game changer and it immediately propelled him to um, a, a major player in you know, mass making. And that along that time, uh, Graham Watson from uh, Louisville TPS um, approached my dad and asked if he'd be interested in uh, working with Louisville and uh, making you know rep, you know working with the NHL players that they had that they were working with at the time for their uh, equipment for their pads and glove and blocker and uh, he said he definitely would be very interested and and that uh, right away kind of put us in touch with Dominic Kosick who was the marquee goalie for Louisville. And also wearing the ugliest helmet on earth at the time, right? <laughs> he was wearing a, a, he was wearing a, a, a plastic SK uh, 2000. Which was a two-piece plastic mask, or yeah, helmet, helmet, player helmet, held helmet. together by screws, right? Yep, yeah, yeah, it was. And then, um, so we took, uh, we took that similar design and constructed a custom-made helmet out of... Uh, carbon fiber, Kevlar, um, a high-strength fiberglass, and epoxy resin, and uh, got him custom-made titanium screens for the helmet to lighten it up some so it wasn't too heavy. And uh, once we got the padding and the helmet just right, um, he went on to use it for Detroit, um, the Senators, and I think Canada possibly using it uh, overseas too when he went back and played in uh, Czech. What was his reaction when he got his hands on that? Because it must have been night and day difference from what he'd been using and I do suspect though like someone like him who was such a creature of habit, I'm curious if he felt like there was a big transition into using that. Well, um, he seemed to transition into using it pretty well. Uh, You know, we were real happy when he came to Detroit and was able to win the Stanley Cup in it. Um, it's probably a pretty big vote of confidence for it, right? It was a, you know, it was a big vote of confidence. <laughs> hey, we finally got the Dominator, and he just won the Cup. So right. uh, here's right. our mask. It must be pretty good, right? Yes, yes. That kind of validated us, and you know, pretty soon the phone was ringing off the hook from uh, all you, the all the European goalies. They was there a lot of guys that wanted that model? They really liked that model, and um, one of the goalies that played for the Senators was uh, Martin Prusak. And Martin was wearing that uh, that that helmet, and uh, Chris. We made one for Chris Osgood, and for whatever reason, um, he never really got out of his Cooper. He disliked it so much and felt so comfortable with it that uh, he just never made the the change, you know, to the composite helmet. Have you seen many people that are still using those, and you still get orders for them? Yeah, we still we currently have uh, three orders for them, and um, that's amazing to think about. I mean, because like like the young guys have never seen a mask like that, so you know you're yeah, you're definitely catering to a very specific it's, grouping. It's with a this. specific group, and uh, um, one 
one of the orders is going to be shipped out to Montreal, and I think the other one um, is going to be in the U.S., isn't it, Shell? Yeah, so... Yeah. But, you know, periodically... That's Shelley Warwick joining us in the background there, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> One yeah. of the driving forces behind Warwick Goalie Madness. Right. Shelley's been working within the company since 2000. And, uh, you know, my dad really needed somebody to organize the orders and the, the invoices. And, you know, she's learned how to talk to all the equipment managers and... Which can't be that easy, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so I love my equipment guys. Don't don't anybody pillarize me on this one. But uh, those guys have to deal with budgets. They have to deal with bosses, and it's uh, it's do. not always easy for them either. It's so. not. Yeah. Most of them are pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've, you've you touched on some of the modern day stuff, but I want to go even further back and thinking about how your dad's growth in this build business, building it up and learning how to make these masks and how to evolve over time. You know, through the, on the, through the 70s, was he consistently making masks, improving his craft? And There was a period of time, there was, uh, I don't know if it was a three or four year stretch, maybe five year stretch where he made four or five masks a year. And um, he, really, he really took off again strong when they started to cut the uh, facial opening out and uh, installing the, the wire screen cages to the fiberglass shell. Um, that was uh, definitely a time when, you know, the, goal, the safety of the mask increased. Uh, Bernie Perrant suffered an eye injury uh, for Philadelphia and the, the facial plate with the, with the two round eye holes um, basically, you know, fell by the wayside right then and there. And uh, so the safety uh, definitely went up dramatically when they started attaching those stainless steel uh, cages to the shells, you know, um, made out of stainless steel at that time. And then over the years, uh, you know, they've introduced titanium screens, which are extremely strong and very light and uh, it's just made an overall very light mask for the goalies, which, I mean, over the course of a of playing on the ice every day, I mean, the neck fatigue and, you know, the wear and tear on somebody's, uh, you know, it's just, it takes a toll on a goalie, so. Who came to you guys with the titanium cage? Did your dad actually find that on his own or did someone approach you with it? Um, he, I think somebody put him in contact with the guy that makes them. Us and because uh, it's a really specialized thing. I mean, you talk about welding aluminum or titanium, it's very different than welding stainless. It is, and we've only had one uh, gentleman that's been making them for you know well over 20 years at this point, and uh, he does a great job. And and uh, we just haven't found anybody else that's uh, ever approached his level of um, ability to, to bend and weld the titanium like he does. It's incredible. Was there a lot of experimentation going on with the cages when they first started going away from the full face fiberglass mask? Because I think like Esposito and other guys, you'd see pictures of little almost like eyeglass-like cages. And then yes. there were bigger ones and more opening. I mean, how did anybody navigate the waters when it came to trying to find the, the optimal way to do that? Well, um the cages, my dad, I remember my dad uh, buying cages from a sporting goods store and uh, modifying them, um, cutting them down. Like with an angle grinder? Yep. Wow. To 
So, you know, I love that. I mean, was, the game used to have so much craftsmanship. It did. Yeah. It was it was kind of crude back in those days, the way they had to do stuff. But uh, the end result looked pretty darn good. And um, <clears throat> then, you know, guys started to custom make screens in different sizes. Uh, we currently sell five and a half, five and three quarter, and six inch cages, and uh, we're able to put cages on on many different you know brands of bass other than just Warwick, and uh, the cages are really outstanding today, and uh, for the most part, really hold up well to these 80, 90, 100 mile an hour slap shots. Um, when you see a stick literally bending almost in half, you know right before the release point. Uh, you know that these goalies, as you can attest to, yeah. are, are taking 90 plus mile an hour shots to the cage and to the forehead and chin. So. Well, it used to be that there'd be one or two guys on every team that could really crank the thing up. Right. And now it's pretty much everybody. It's pretty much everybody. It, it's And it's not just because you had one or two big strong guys like the old days. It's because stick technology has changed so much. And yes. players are now using bigger fle or softer flexes that allow them to really whip it. And they don't have to be built like the Incredible Hulk to shoot the thing that hard. And, right. Um, that's something that I look back at, like Brett Hull using an 80 flex seemed revolutionary. And, 1980-98 or whatever it was and now yes. I've seen guys using 75 flexes now it's it's changed so much well, back when Brett gave us a stick um, we made a mask for his son too who was also a goalie and uh, he had an eastern shaft and he always slid in his blades you know as he as he experimented with different styles so he would take his blade and kind of look like he would shave it down on and, the toe, uh, right? And Just had, that little bit. Yeah, yeah and he yeah, had a big yeah. toe hook. Yes, and, uh, sir. Yep. <laughs> and uh, he was a lot like his dad. His dad's stick were, blades were famous uh, for being a, a very severe um, hook. And uh, when Eddie Meal was in the store a couple of years ago with his white, um, he had a, a, a white Higgins replica made up for the Detroit alumni games. And uh, he said, Bobby caught him in the face with a wrist shot and uh, it didn't feel too good <laughs> yeah. well a lot of that has to do with the spin of the puck too like there's always used to be talk about how heavy somebody's shot was yes and, and that's kind of died off a little bit because like we said everybody's shooting it so hard but right. it used to be back when somebody had a heavy shot it meant that that puck is spinning at such a high rate of velocity that it felt like it was trying to dig through you and a lot of times that was a guy with a bigger curve or a strange curve. Or yes. I, I think of Sheldon Surrey, the guy who comes to mind immediately, that the puck just tried to drive through you when it hit. You know, and the guy, yeah. at one point the guy put a puck through my jersey. It actually <laughs> happened. I'm playing against him in Hershey, and my jersey, I can't remember what team I was for, but we had a little patch on the shoulder. And the puck hit right at the patch, and the patch where the sewing was, it ripped, and the puck went right through. Right through it. Yep, stuck right in my side. I mean, it's, it's incredible to see what guys can do, and now everybody's drilling the thing. Well, you know, back, I, I've seen a lot of older sticks, and, and a lot of them were all wood, pretty much a straight uh, blade, no, no curve on it. So I think Bobby was so different in that his hook was so, so big, you know, that uh, he definitely introduced it to a lot of other players, and they, and they copied and, and took off with it. So, when did you start playing goalie? 
I'm actually a forward. So I, no, you're not even doing that. I, no, I, okay. I, I'm a forward, and I like, I've always liked playing uh, center. And uh, But your dad was a goalie. My dad was right, a goalie Right, because he had forever. to protect himself. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. In fact, um, he became a goalie because he got tired of chasing the puck around the ice. And I heard that from one of the guys that he played with. He goes, your dad just said one day during a game, he goes, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to the net. <laughs> the guy that was in the net couldn't stop the puck, and, and he said, there's no doubt I can do a lot better than this. <laughs> so he never came back out, and he ended up playing uh, well into his 40s and uh, really had a good time doing it. And it took so much courage back then, right? Oh, it did. I mean, I'm looking at the map. You, you, I can't show these while we're talking, but you brought over some of these masks now, like the Higgins and yeah. the Wakely, and just, they were essentially there to keep you from being cut. They were, and when you know Lefty Wilson started making them uh, four layers thick of fiberglass, and uh, I mean, he basically had to get Terry Sawchuck into a mask uh, to get him back out there. Um, Terry was going out and playing with no facial plate at all. And taking you know too many shots to the face, so was Jacques Plant, and uh, you know he was crucial and instrumental in uh, starting you know making a decent mask and giving the guys something to shoot for and to improve upon, which you know it seems like they did as the years went on. Uh, they got a little bit thicker, a little bit uh, more head protection came back further on the ears, came up top higher on the top of the head. And uh, the goalies really, goalies like Jerry Cheevers, for example, um, had a lot of success. Tony Esposito uh, had a, a kind of a smaller mask, but uh, uh, Tony's always had a, a real neat looking style to it. And his, um, Tony's butterfly style was also one of my personal favorites. I thought he was, I thought he was just the best thing going. Yeah, he was one of the first guys to really implement it, right? I yes. mean, Glenn was. Hall was, from what I've read, at least, obviously not being alive, one of yeah. the first to really use that. And then Esposito took it a step further. He did. And then we went to Patrick Waugh, and now we've got to what we are today. But yeah. the, the lineage of stuff is so interesting like that. And it really is. going along with that, I'm, did your dad look to any other mask makers kind of as inspiration to what he was doing over the years? Well, he always really admired uh, Greg Harrison's styling and... Um, Definitely thought he was thought his masks were the premier mass, and that's why ours obviously, you know, um, we we ended up making a bigger mask, um, similar similar uh, holes, but uh, triangular triangular holes. Yeah. The and little bump on the chin, and so yeah, all the all the cool yeah the scooched in um, at, at the cheek, and uh, to me the, that's the goalie mask. That's what it looks like to me. I yeah. know that's personal preference, and that's yep. what I wear, but that to me is the goalie mask. Yeah. That was definitely a traditional, beautiful mask, and uh, there's no doubt that, uh, you know, some, some guys out there really like the, the chins that come down and, and swoop out, um, and other guys like our style that come down, you know, straighter, but uh, they're really, they're really nice-looking pieces of art, you know. When it's all said and done, they look great out there. Was Belfour really the first guy that broke into the NHL for Warwick goalie masks? 
We actually, uh, I remember when Rogie Bashan got traded to Detroit, or maybe rather, maybe not traded, maybe signed by Detroit. He was a star out in L.A. And uh, <clears throat> going down to, um, I, I think it was Joe Lewis at the time, um, to meet him and make a mask for him was a big thrill. I know um, my dad made a mask for uh, oh, guys like uh, Ed Stanowski, uh, Mike Liut, um, Eddie Johnston, who had a pretty good run with the Boston Bruins. These and then, aren't small names you're mentioning. These are big-time goalies. Well, we got Eddie when he was with the St. Louis Blues, just kind of finishing up a, a great career. And uh, Stanowski, of course, was a St. Louis Blue. They happened to train in Port Huron at McMoran Arena for a brief period of time. So that's kind of how uh, he met those guys. Of course, Rick Hines uh, wore... Preeminent goalie school in North America yep. for years and years and yes, years. Yes, he was yeah, a yeah. top goalie instructor. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you were a kid in the '90s or '80s, you you'd be hard pressed not to have gone to a Rick Hines goalie school, at least in the true. Midwest. It seems like I he had an, he had one going in every city. Yes, he I don't know if he showed up at any of them, but <laughs> man, he he had a he had a racket going on. He that's really, for sure. He really did. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so Bell four too, and then as the '90s went on, you started to gain more guys. We gained more guys. We got uh, had a lot of luck um, with University of Michigan goalies, and uh, Steve Shields, and of course, at, following him was Marty Turco. Um, Steve went on to have a great career and uh, played for the Sabers, and then went out to San Jose, uh, went to the Boston Bruins, where uh, one of the more famous mass painters, Todd Mishka, uh, painted uh, Jerry Cheever's replica paint job on Steve's mask. That uh, I think that was the first time somebody put the retro ears on the, the side of the mask. The first time right? anybody did the ears, yeah. the hair, the straps, and made it look like you were wearing an old old school mask in a paint job. And there was a huge feature in Goalies World magazine on it, and I know I. I Goalies World Magazine to my era of goaltender, 35 yeah. was what my age here. Yeah. I'm telling you, that was like the Bible to us. Every time that came out every month, yep. we were all over it. And I remember that issue distinctly and looking at how cool Shields' mask looked and how much it took to make sure that it was proportionate and yes. and just looked proper. It did. And it did. Yeah, that, that was a really cool mask. I have, I have a lot of fond memories of that era. And... Um, the cool thing about you know the Mishka family is, of course, his son Hunter uh, made his debut um, just three or so weeks ago for the Phoenix Coyotes. Um, got put in for the third period in Little Caesars Arena, and uh, you know it was a special moment to be able to watch him on TV and and know that his dad has been painting NHL goalie masks for you know over 20 years and. Um, of course, Hunter's mask was painted by Todd as well, so I'd hope so. It, it looked outstanding, and he did good. And I think he's got a bright future. Yeah, I played against him last year when I was in Texas. He was in Tucson. And yeah, yeah, had a nice rookie season. And yes, he's, he did. He's been progressing along, and yep. I get a big kick out of running into guys like that, though, who I know have some history in the game. Right. And even as a mask painter, to me, you're a huge part of the game and a mask maker and. You know, thinking about, let's say, Marty Brodeur, his dad was a photographer in the game. And, right. Um, my grandpa, my dad, off-ice officials, 
Yeah. It's just really cool when that stuff starts to tie together. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and it's usually a family uh, thing in, in, in hockey. Uh, my grandpa organized some local teams in Port Huron, and then, of course, my dad ended up being one of the better uh, rec goalies in Port Huron, and then, you know, I continued to play. I only made it to, like, the junior level, and I had some knee uh, problems, so... I, I wasn't really able to keep on going with it, but uh, well, you're six four. You must have been a bruiser. Well, out there. I was a bruiser, <laughs> and they really wanted me to come up to Saskatchewan to play. The uh, Western boys wanted the you. Western boys. I'm not surprised at all. Absolutely, they said you'd fit right. In <laughs> right, <there>. yeah. <laughs> and uh, I kind of wished I would have given it a go, but uh, the knees weren't feeling too good, and I thought uh, might as well save myself a, a trip. So. Why do you think over the years you've had so much success with college goaltenders? Do you think it's because of that initial bump with Michigan? Because I think so. I think there's so many of them. I mean, a lot of schools have been really faithful to lo- to Warwick along yeah. the way. Yeah, we've had a, we've had a lot of good luck uh, making college uh, goalie mass, and uh, you know, certainly a big part of our business today, and um, you know, making making them for. For the up-and-coming 15, 16-year-old goalies is really a thrill uh, because some of these kids are, you know, at 16, 17 years old are are already on the radar of a lot of NHL scouts, pro scouts in general, and, uh, you know, those are the kids that are a lot of fun to make them for because they're really appreciated, you know, so. It's got to be cool to see them go through the ranks over the years, too, because, yeah. I mean, I was a relative nobody, but, but there's been some other guys along the way that, I mean, you, you, you knew they were going to be good goaltenders and to watch them rise through. And Sure. Do you feel like you have – ownership is not the right word to me for this mm-hmm. at all, but just, you know, having played a little part in this and allowing them to, to reach their goals and potential, do you feel like you have a little part in that, though, being their mask maker? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does. It gives you a lot of pride to, to see a guy going out there and playing at a very high level, um, you know, wearing a custom-made Warwick mask, and uh, you know, taking some heavy shots to the mask and being able to basically shake it off and just uh, keep following the play and, and really not be set back at all by it. So it feels really good to see that. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of all those guys along the way. I mean, you've had Shields, Turco, Belfour, Nabokov, right. on down the list. We've and had guys like Brian Elliott, Yaroslav Halak, uh, Roman Turek, another big uh, right. Czech star. Um, I mean, it's uh, it's been it's been an impressive list of goalies that have worn them. Were any of those guys particularly quirky? Um, You've had Ryan Miller too for years. We can't forget him. I mean, no, Ryan tied for the winningest NHL goaltender of all time. Right, right. He's American. I apologize. Yes, yeah. he's tied with uh, Van Breesbach, I believe, right now, and uh, certainly probably going to pass him shortly but um, we've got some pretty cool pictures of of my dad with Ryan um, during two different seasons with Michigan State that hang in the store and uh, and like yourself you know you guys have been wearing the mask for really close to 20 years or so and uh, you guys have had great luck with it so I remember Ryan playing for the Sioux Indians in the North American oh, that, League that's right before he went off Sioux Indians yeah, we go way back with that. And it's funny it. because we've we've had similar careers but not parallel because obviously he spent so much time in the National League and had such a great career. And um, we've had all these parallels but really never met in person. 
you know, we've had a few emails right. here and there back and yeah. forth, but never had the chance to. And yeah, he's he's somebody who I've you know always looked up to along the way. And, yeah. He's, um, part of that was seeing his mask, and we had a little bit of a kinship with it. You right. Know? <laughs> right. Right. And also, um, you got a tremendous mask painter, Ray Bishop, that uh, paints both your masks, and and he's um, he also paints Jimmy Howard's and his quality and his detail and his clear coats along with the way he puts a special uh, vinyl you know coating over key parts of the mask that take a lot of puck shots uh, you know preserves his paint jobs and typically by the end of the season you know the mask is still in outstanding shape even though it's been hit and impacted um, he, he's, he's so good at laying the paint on that uh, very, there's very little chipping and uh, just exceptional work. Yeah, you must notice that, I bet, because you don't just build new masks. You do a lot of refurbishment jobs. And yes. Can you tell the big difference between painters when one comes back to the to the shop? Well, you know, the guys that are out there doing it now, for the most part, are, are really, really good. But uh, Like if know, somebody was at home just spray-painting a mask and... We've seen a lot of those, Chuck a clear on there at the very end. Uh, the paint the paint <laughs> comes off with every shot yeah. when it's not put on proper, that's for sure. And the clear coat's definitely a big thing, but uh, prepping a shell for the first layer of paint is also really important. And you can't be skipping any steps because it will not stay on the shell for long, that's for sure. But Mike but. asked you about quirky goalies, and you have to mention that Hasek used to, we'd make a new shell every year, yeah. but he'd keep his padding. So Dominic Hasek, I heard, would keep his shell. He, he would keep his a, padding? We'd make a new shell, but he'd keep the old padding. If he was winning... So Hasek was superstitious, is that what we're getting at? If you ever looked yeah. at a close-up... Really? Yeah, he would, we, would, we would install... Do you, ever, do you ever get one coming back that you look at and go, I can't help this. It's too gross. I don't have latex, latex gloves thick enough that'll fix this. My dad, I've seen him open boxes up and pull that out and throw that back in the box and cuss at it. And <laughs> he, uh, he definitely got a little bit more upset about it than I do, but it was, it was funny. So Hashik, though, he'd have a gross chin cup, gross padding, didn't phase him, huh? Well... I personally never got to got to take a look when they were replacing his uh, or, or padding out his new shells, but uh, I do know that they did put some year old padding back in one of his new shells oh, just because man. he liked the fit of it so well, you know. So that's wild to think about. I mean, that's almost like Urbe who used to reskin his pads. <laughs> did you ever hear about that? No. Yeah, he'd keep the foam from the inside of the pad, but he'd have them reskin it. Because he liked the foam, he liked them broken down, and there are all these archers' urbay stories. And half of them, I don't know if they were true or not, but you'd think you'd hear that when he'd get new pads, he'd have the team bus run them over to break them <laughs> in. And then you know later on, he's getting them reskinned. And then he ran out of helmets, so he put an ad in Goalie's World magazine, trying to find helmets. These old Jofa ones. Yes. That, yeah. These things were terrible looking, but he loved them, and yeah, people answered the call. Um, unbelievably, people would respond that, yeah, hey, archers, I've got a Jofa helmet for you. Here you go. And he'd, they'd somehow broker it, and he'd, yeah. he'd get them. I, 
it blows me away. I mean, he could have just come to you guys and had a carbon one made, you know? Yeah, he could have. <laughs> I remember watching him uh, when he was with Carolina playing the Red Wings in the Stanley Cup Finals, and uh, I've got a great picture of Igor Larionov, you know, scoring a, a big goal on him, maybe the winner. And But he was he was a really, really good goalie. And uh, it didn't seem like he had a whole lot of years in the NHL, but he's had some big years. Yeah. You know. How much did the carbon change over the years? Because I know that you've gone through a couple of different weaves, and now it's like pre-peg. And mm-hmm. these are kind of terms that I know from being a racing fan and coming from that background where it yes. is. But yes. am I correct in thinking that, that the carbon's changed a lot over the yeah, years? Too? Yeah, the carbon the carbon's definitely, um, we've experimented with different weaves, different thicknesses, and uh, um, pretty much, you know, for the last several years have stayed with the same type um, that works out real well. And uh, our masks typically uh, at the end of the season show very little wear and tear on the chins, the foreheads. They're, they're very clean and um, we think we found an excellent, you know, makeup for our shells now. So we don't deviate from that stuff anymore. Yeah, so it's who came to that? Who came to you with that in the first place? Is it, is it something you have to actively search out when you're looking we, for something we, new? We searched out different layups and and experimented with different layups, and uh, you know, just by dealing with certain people that are experts in the field, we um, came up with uh, you know great layup schedules that have just stood up over the test of time now. So, and these people with backgrounds in, I'm guessing probably. Aerospace, Formula One, things like these, that. A lot of these guys um, make carbon fiber custom body panels for cars, mm-hmm. uh, specialty, you know, replica cars, Mustangs, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, these well, are the close guys. to Motor City, so I'm sure there's no shortage around here, That's right? That's the truth. <laughs> there, there's no shortage of guys yeah. doing that kind of work in this area. So we've been lucky about that. So you can easily tap into that little cottage industry to to improve yours in the same way. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's fa- it's fascinating how all these things start to align yeah. into a product that is really niche when you think about it. Yeah. But then again, I mean, you guys are cranking out a lot of masks every year, I'd imagine, yeah, too. Yeah, we, we, we make, uh, I don't know if we're doing 200, but we're up there. And um, we do quite a few repads and, you know, there's a lot of Warwick masks out there being used that were made in the 90s that get sent in to us for new paint, new padding, uh, a new cage. And uh, when it goes back out, you know, it's, it's ready to go for, for a couple good more years at least, depending on how much they get hit. But um, I don't know if there's a lot of other brands that are out there being worn from the 90s or, or even the 2000 era, but um, I would think not too many. You know. So kind of a rule of thumb to how long you would think a helmet could go for, let's say you're just talking about your everyday beer leaguer guy who's playing once, twice a week. Yeah. You know, how long can you really expect to get out of the foam before you should get that redone well, just from a safety purpose? I would, I would certainly say every two to three years would be a smart move uh, just to get the clean foam inside. Um, you know, uh, definitely need to get yourself a half a dozen sweat bands. Um, the strapping... Uh, soaks up a lot of the sweat and should be replaced every year. I would think. I got a hack for that though too. You can you can wash those. People forget you can actually wash those, and it'll help them last you at least a little bit longer yeah. on that. Yeah. Right. So I actually take my 
all the strapping on my mask, I'll take them off and throw them in my laundry bag. Oh, yeah. Soak them up a little bit. And wash them. It gets all the salt out and everything. Yeah. Now, granted, it's an, it's an elastic product. Right. It stretches out over time. They have a lifespan. They do. But for me to get rid of that crunchiness and to make them elastic again, yeah, if I toss them in my laundry bag. Right. You know, they're pretty much good after after one wash the last couple of weeks. Yep. Do it again. Get right. through the season. Sure. Sure. So, that's, a good, that's a good idea. I've been... I haven't had anybody uh, ever mention that, but that does make sense. Yeah. Can you think of anybody when you were working with them that they came up with some idea that was so off the wall that you or yourself, you or your dad just said, no, we're not doing that? (laughs) Well, I do know that uh, when he was working with Tim Thomas. um, Oh, we're opening a can of worms here, aren't we? Did he wear a Warwick for a while? Tim Tim absolutely wore a Warwick in... uh, I guess it's more of a question of what didn't Tim wear, though, right? (laughs) Well, he absolutely um, got into a nice sport mask at the end, and um, which worked out very well for him. He won the Stanley Cup. He had played many fantastic years in that, and uh, that was just a a real custom mask that he absolutely helped design it. And uh, my dad wasn't making anything like that, and. When Tim continuously wanted to have a shorter and shorter chin, um, probably, you know, asking other parts of the mask to be altered. Uh, you know, my dad probably wasn't willing to uh, do anything like that. So Tim certainly found some a company that could do it for him. So, yeah. well, over the years, if you when you look back on this and and really what your dad started and now you're carrying on, yep. what do you think the legacy is for Warwick? Well, I think I think there's a, a, a spot for us, you know, in, in the custom mass market. Uh, I think goalies really like the idea of, of sending in a pitcher, uh, taking the measurement of their head circumference, uh, sending it out to us where we can select or suggest a style of mask that, you know, would definitely work well for them. Um, we guarantee the fit and uh, we're pretty successful 98, 99% of the time um, in getting a real good fit for the customer. And we always send extra padding. And, you know, like we tell the guys, a lot of a lot of your fit depends on how you adjust your straps. Um, if your chin cup's a little bit loose, there's adjustment holes on it, bring it up tighter. Don't That's, be afraid to experiment. Yeah, you, yeah. I tell that to guys all the time. Yeah. Right. Right. They get it out of the box and then oh, no, 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 they don't like, know what to do. See, so fix it. Like yeah. if it's not right, just move it a, a, a hole. Work, you know? with, work with the straps. Right. Get some extra padding. Um, if you have gaps in the cheeks, where when you look in the mirror you can see spacing in between your cheek and the cheek pad, get your get your hands on a, on some eighth inch padding, um, with you know, with an with a, a peel off backside, so you can just cut it with a pair of scissors to conform to the um, shape of the pad that's in there. And uh, you can get a, a custom fit just by uh, doing a couple of techniques yourself. You know, I mean, I can vouch for that. When I first had mine made, when I was 15 years old in Bantams, yep. I sent your dad my hat size and a couple pictures of my head. And my fit has been bang on for 20 years. Of course, my head hasn't changed in size, thankfully. Right. Um, that I can tell. I'm sure other people would probably disagree. Uh, my wife might think my head's bigger now, but uh, you know, 
it, it, it was right out of the box, right on. Yeah. And so it, it, you don't have to have a totally custom mold to be able to pull something off if you know the proper sizing on it. Right. I do get annoyed, though, when I see other goaltenders wearing a variety of masks that you look at them and go, why are you not wearing that thing properly? Yeah. You know, the bottom of the mask at the, you know, the top of the, the hole, the, the face hole, yeah. should be right above your eyebrows. Should and be. you should be able to see your mouth. Yeah. And your eyes shouldn't have bars in front of them. And so much of this is easily fixed by the person themselves if you're just willing to adjust your straps a little bit. Right. We're seeing a lot of goaltenders um, that come in the shop that are used to having the mask tilted up on their head. So they're actually looking through the wrong holes right. on the cage. And they're probably chewing the chin cup at that point, right? <laughs> I don't. I mean, styrofoam tastes terrible. I don't know why they want to do that. Right. I do see a lot of. I do see a lot of chin cups that are that have been chewed up. That's for sure. Oh. <laughs> and uh, that's just how the goalies are used to wearing it, and they really don't know that. Even the parents don't know what's going on until I point it out and show them the holes they should be looking through. And when we ask them to pull the mask down and and have it sitting on their heads properly, you know. Then the parents go, wow, that's how it's supposed to look. Wow, that looks great. Who would yeah. ever guess? Right. <laughs> it's actually supposed to fit properly. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's been a lot of fun to point out, you know, some pointers to these kids. And, and typically, uh, you know, if they do have a, a poorly fitted mask, then, you know, they give us a shot and see what we can do for them. Yeah, well, I mean, we're all a bunch of goalie nerds for the most part. So that's it. a lot of guys are really receptive but somebody's got to show them the light a little bit when it comes to that yeah, type of stuff yeah, they I just need a they just need a, a, a little helping hand once in a while yeah. what do you think the future is for this where where are goalie masks headed well because we're at a point right now where they're really light they're really protective do you see room for innovation or improvement down the road with them well we're always we're always looking and um, trying to figure out ways um, trying to figure out what the next great padding is going to be um, you know, we incorporate a little bit of unequal padding, which is a concussion reduction technology. You have a rubber on one side, and the back side of this padding is um, a Kevlar, a yellow Kevlar backing. So that has been, that comes in different thicknesses, eighth inch, five sixteenths. Um, and that has helped, <clears throat> certainly helped out for people. Goalie, some goalies are much more susceptible getting concussions than others are and uh, that's just kind of the way it goes and, and that padding has seemed to really help out for those you know particular goalies so well I, I mean we could go on and on forever with this stuff and I'm I'm always fascinated with the history of it I love the technology aspect um, and obviously I've just been a satisfied customer for a lot of years yeah, right. uh, I'll proudly say that you guys never given me a cent, nor would I ever have hoped for a cent, because your product is what I think is the safest and the best on the market. There's nothing behind that other than what I think is right. Mm -hmm. And so I really appreciate what you've done for myself and for other goalies. But coming on today and talking, I, I hope people enjoy this because it's, it's been a blast. So, Gary, thanks so much. I really well, appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. And it's been a lot of fun talking about goalie masks.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.